0: Welcome to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. I'm your host, William Cheshire. Join me in learning about optimistic solutions to some of society's problems as we interview entrepreneurs, small business owners, and employees, among others, working to provide solutions and bring positivity into the world. welcome in it's a special episode of talking solutions with the chesh i'm your host william cheshire also known as the chesh as i once was in my former radio life and i'm here with a special guest the inaugural guest for the first episode that we have planned for the talking solutions with the chesh podcast april in alter april april Lynn, how are you
1: I'm good I'm good I'm man I'm so stoked to be here it's I mean you you reached out to me you know asking if I want to be the first guest and I said absolutely and that was a little bit ago and so much has changed since then so yeah I'm I'm so happy to be here.
0: Oh that's fantastic I'm excited to get down and and dirty into the the details and whatnot of what's been changing because when we first met uh, over on Twitter uh, to give a quick background uh, Twitter can be a great place and uh, we've certainly uh, been able to to take advantage of that and when I first met you you had what, four hundred, 500 followers and we started kind of chatting and, and now next thing I know you're up three, 4,000 plus now.
1: Right, yep, It's. I mean it's been it's been quite the journey.
0: Yes, it has and so just for everyone to know uh, what we're gonna be talking about today, what really is special about April Lynn and, and what made me wanna speak to her is that she has a, a startup, a new platform called Tenderfoot. Uh, you can go over at tenderfoot.io to check it out and what it is is it's a platform that helps place college students with startups for internships, which I find really, really interesting. I, I don't think, you know, that startup world doesn't quite have that uh, type of um, commitment level in terms of internships when it comes, like the corporations. So I found that really interesting. April Lynn, will you just mind telling us a little bit about that uh, before we talk about your background?
1: Yeah, of course. As, as you said, it's called Tenderfoot. find us at tenderfoot.io, and at our core, we are connecting startups with students, particularly with internships. And it's odd. I I was looking a lot for a type of of solution like that. You have platforms geared towards startups like AngelList. You have platforms geared towards internships like Handshake. But I guess this is our way of mixing them together because there are so many incredible, honestly life-changing opportunities at startups that students can have that they're just not having access to yet.
0: I agree completely. And part of that and what makes me, interest, it makes me interested in you is your background from an educational standpoint. I feel like that maybe you wouldn't be the one that people might expect to, to kind of venture into this world. So tell us a little bit uh, about where you grew up, how you grew up and how your life took you through college.
1: Yeah, well, that's a pretty loaded question. And there, there's a lot that I can get into here. I'll say, I mean, let's go back to second grade um, from the point I was in second grade, which is about no, that's maybe seven years old. I already knew that I wanted to get into an Ivy League university, which blows my mind now just thinking about it. I don't know how I even knew that those types of universities existed at that point, but it was always a goal of mine. And I, was, I think I was super stressed you know, all throughout school, even starting that young, you know, doing everything I can to be able to get into a prestigious university like that. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why it mattered so much to me. I think that the overall goal was I want to be successful in order to be successful, I need to go to the best university ever, and I think starting from that young, I thought that I go to a great university, I can get a great full-time job after that, and then be able to have a family, and be able to not be homeless, and other, I think, I mean, that was my thought process, right, and so yeah, I ended up going to Cornell University, And a particularly interesting study there, I um, had my bachelor's in science in hotel administration, which is kind of like business, but with a hospitality focus. I think the original goal there was to become a general manager of some luxury resort somewhere. Um, It seemed like a very kind of sexy occupation. And after working at, a hotel for a bit, realized that that was not for me. Hotel operations was not for me at all. And then at that point, a lot of my peers were starting to, I guess, move into big finance, right? Your investment banking, other types of finance. And that started early. That You know, there's a general move away from hospitality ops, even within the hotel school, and into big finance. So that's kind of where I started, you know, my my sophomore year. Um, I'll skip ahead, but basically... Uh, City Group, which is where I'm working now, they have this early ID program. So starting my sophomore, second year of school, I was able to get into the early ID program, which then fed into the internship the next year, which then fed into the full-time role, which is where I am now.
0: Very cool. Also very interesting. One thing that kind of stood out to me that you talked about was first kind of, okay, that sounds sexy to be the GM of a resort. And yeah, it certainly does. It does. That doesn't sound like a bad <laughs> gig at all. But it kind of sounded like you mentioned that it was something that you were kind of supposed to do and things along that line. So I'm wondering where that kind of changed and growing up, especially, you know, in high school, when you were looking at colleges, universities, were you given the opportunity to kind of look at other options or was it always, Hey, you got to get into a top line school. And then from there, you're going to be successful. Otherwise, you know, things are a little too up in the air.
1: Yeah. I think for me, it was always, I have to get into a top tier school. When I was applying to colleges, they were all top tier schools. It's a little bit different for my brother, who's younger than me. Because I think after seeing my education, my parents were able to adjust and their own expectations, as well as, you know, what they set upon my brother and saying, you know, it's okay if you don't go to a top tier school, you're still going to have an excellent education. But, you know, I, I'm the first child, right? I, for my family, and I say especially with, in the Asian culture, I'm, I'm half Chinese. and my, my mom's from China. She grew up, you know, dirt poor. She had nothing. And... the time that she was growing up at any point everything could be taken away from you your job could be taken away from you your family could be taken away from you you had nothing the only one thing you could hold on to that no one could ever take away from you was your education no one could ever take away a degree that you had already earned so i think that that was part of kind of the environment growing up and placing such a large emphasis on you know a top tier education
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. So that's why maybe at seven years old, when most people were uh, thinking about sports or, uh, you know, for me, maybe Dragon Ball Z, uh, (laughs) you know, that's where the education kind of was instilled in from the from the kind of the family values, then you'd say.
1: Right. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, my, 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 my dad, too. He's he's white, but I think education was still a huge part of his of his upbringing as well. You know, he went through so many different degrees. You know, it was huge for him.
0: Interesting. And, and I'm definitely, you know, as you know, the podcast called Talking Solutions, so we're definitely going to get down to your solution here. But part of that is understanding where you come from and, and why you created the solution that you did. Uh, so I'm curious, then, you know, after you graduated, uh, you know, you went to Cornell and, and everything. And after that kind of happened, when was it that you kind of realized and what was it that kind of opened your eyes that, wait a minute, I could still do something really cool and successful, even if it has nothing to do with my prestigious degree?
1: Yeah, I would I would take it back too. So, back to my sophomore year, second year, right? I knew because banks recruit so early. I knew that my junior year, so my third year, I would have an internship at Citi. Before I knew what I was going to do, my my sophomore summer. And so I was looking, I went to a career fair, which is very rare for me. I do I don't like career fairs. I never have. It's just everyone it's really hot everyone's sweating people are wearing suits that are way too big for them you know it's very loud um I I I didn't like being being there but I was determined to get an internship and so I decided to go and I talked to two people one of the booths completely bare table like no table skirt no swag just a bare table a computer like a laptop and a person and that was it and they had no lines like this is it I'll go over here this this is great and um, she was actually worked for a Series A startup based in Silicon Valley. And I had always heard of entrepreneurship. I thought, you know, that's for that's for people who are not me. You know, I, I didn't think I was, I would fit that type of persona, but I was, I was interested and I needed a place to go. And I thought, yeah, I'll apply. And I got the role and I had an internship at the Series A startup, it's called Belong. And that internship, changed the course of my life. I actually ended up working there for about a year. Um, I worked r- remotely uh, throughout the school year, came back in the winter over my winter break to work more in person, worked more remotely afterwards. I completely fell in love with it. And the people that I was exposed to there, I got pretty close with our CEO, his name's Ali Resnick, and just learning his background was incredible. And that was kind of when I learned that you don't need to have, you know, a you, you don't need to graduate from an Ivy League university in order to do something amazing. And most importantly, add value. And that was a huge lesson that stuck with me from LA when we were talking. I was I was very, I mean, I I was young. I'm still young, but I was, you know, questioning what to do with my life. And his response to me was, whatever you do, no matter what you do, make sure you add value to the world. And that, that, that really just resonated with me.
0: I love that. Yeah. Value creation, you know, adding value to people's lives. And, and, you know, that from a business level, obviously, that's a little bit more straightforward. But I mean, that can even go down to your personal relationships, you know, adding value to your family, to your friends, whether that's just a listening ear. So I I think that's fantastic. Um, You know, the big thing that we're talking about, too, is what I think is a bit of a problem uh, that we have in, in American society today specifically uh, is that we have these kids that, that go to the top of the line universities and that's and fantastic. It's very difficult academically to do that and everything like that. But the one thing that's kind of laid out straightforward, kind of like you mentioned, is, okay, I'll go into finance. I'll go into high-end business administration. I'll become a lawyer. I'll become a doctor. And I was reading. And when it comes to lawyers, for example... There are a huge amount of lawyers uh, today, a higher you know, much higher supply than we have demand for in some cases. And so what really interests me about your platform and your journey specifically is you were one of those students and you went through that process and now you have this entrepreneurship mindset. And the thing that rang the bell for me is value creation. And I think we need a lot more of that to create positive, impactful value. Uh, on society uh, today. So tell us a little bit now focusing on on Tenderfoot and what type of value that looks to to provide to people. I'm I'm sure a little bit of the value it provided you with your startup opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, at its core, I fully believe that more students need the opportunity to intern at startups. Um, I'd say it's more important to have internship opportunities because as you mentioned, often we're put on career trajectories and there's like one clear answer and it's very difficult to convince someone who's never had a taste of entrepreneurship to hey once you're done with college start your own company and they think what you're crazy right because they've never experienced that before and so you know having an internship experience where they can see what this world is like test it out for themselves see if it interests them see if it's something that they enjoy but most importantly interact with the people because the people at the startup are going to be the type of people who want to add value to the world. And you could meet the person that changes your life or the group of people that changes changes your life at these internship opportunities, which can carry with you like it did for me throughout the rest of my life. And so that's why you know I'm creating Tenderfoot because I tell students all the time about my experience and my recommendation to them is during your college career, Make sure you intern at a startup at least one of your summers. And I get them really psyched and jazzed up to do it. And then they come back to me and say, wait, how, how do I find one? And that's, that's a great question, right? I got lucky. The, the startup that I interned at, they only recruited at two schools. That was Cornell and Stanford. And so if you didn't go to Cornell or Stanford, you wouldn't have been able to have that opportunity. And many startups, even in you know internship job postings like Handshake, for instance, they get overshadowed at career fairs and on the job boards by you know, the cities of the world because they're just so small, right? And they're not as flashy. And so really giving startups a platform to broadcast their opportunities that students can apply to, I think that's going to be life-changing.
0: How's it been going for you? You've mentioned that you've had a lot of students kind of ask you about it. Uh, how's the process been in terms of kind of creating that hype for the platform? Because I know it's currently in development and things of that nature. But, you know, I know you've got a waiting list going on. So has there been some good feedback so far to, to, to what you've been uh, developing?
1: Yes, of course. I have been you know flabbergasted by the response that this idea has had. I wasn't expecting it when I first came up with the idea for Tenderfoot. It was something that I pitched to my now co-founder as a side project like um hey i want to do this side project you're a developer i need some coding support it won't take very much of your time i'll do everything else you know please help me (laughs) and he said okay and then when i started i guess airing the idea out to the world via twitter the response was huge there were so many students who wanted internships at startups so many. And there were also a lot of startups who wanted student interns and who didn't really know where to go to get those besides in your basic job postings, which aren't as optimal. And so, you know, have had this wait list going, like over 200 students, you know, over 75 startups. And yeah, that's been going.
0: <laughs> that's amazing right there, I think, uh, in terms of that feedback that you're getting from Twitter. I definitely want to touch on Twitter and your impact there because you've certainly been doing a lot of good things uh, on the Twitter platform since I've met you. But kind of going back to, to the adding the value in the experiment, you know, I think a, an issue that we have is exactly the the solution that you're providing is we don't have that exposure for everybody. When you grow up and you have an identification of what degree you want, you're kind of like, okay, you have to take these specific steps. Otherwise, you're going to fail and you're not going to make it. But there's so much out there that you want to try and expose you maybe being in a startup isn't for you Maybe it is being a doctor and providing value that way or providing value in the financial world. That's great But I think the issue that we're having that you're solving is that now we're having you're creating a platform for For kids who don't really know. I mean, I don't know about you But when I was 18 19 20, you know, I had a really good idea of what I wanted to do I thought I knew what I wanted to do. I got my, you know dream job two years later. I quit so and maybe that wasn't what I really wanted to do. So I'm curious then uh, to kind of go forward with that problem. When, when you were at Cornell specifically, and you touched on this briefly about your exposure on the startup world and stuff, but were your classmates around you, like in your friends at that time, had they, did they know much about the startup world or, or was it, or entrepreneurship or adding value creation? Or was that just, that was just a non-starter? No one, no one. And
1: Cornell does have an entrepreneurship program but I wasn't exposed to it, right? I I had my major that I had to fulfill. I had a minor that I had to fulfill, right? I had a couple of different extracurriculars. I didn't really have the time nor interest to get involved with the entrepreneurship program. Honestly, I thought the people there were just like super type A go-getters and that I would just kind of be scared of them, right? I, I, I didn't want to expose myself to that. I thought it'd be a little bit too intense. But no, all, all of my peers really... We're going into like consulting or real estate or finance, at least within my major. And that was really all that I had exposure to.
0: Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's certainly value uh, there as well. But I think what makes, you know, America and and other countries like that is our ability to innovate and and create solutions for for problems that we have, whether that's, you know, through climate change, whether that's through economic uh, practices, you know, whatever that might be. Uh, So I definitely think, you know, like you've been talking about having those students, the opportunity to kind of check out startups uh, would be fantastic. So I'd be curious now, since, you know, you've established a lot of relationships via Twitter and you're kind of in, you're kind of knee deep in the startup world now uh, talking to a lot of founders, you mentioned that, oh, there are a lot of type A go-getters and you're a little intimidated. What type of response and what type of characteristics have you seen from kind of the, the entrepreneurship, the startup community in your brief time there?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Well, I'll tell you, I, I mean, I liked school. I was good at it. I didn't have a lot of friends in school. I had like one really close friend growing up and she went to a different school and the people around me and my school, I wasn't really a big fan of. I loved school because of the teachers and because of what I was learning, but I never really found my tribe ever. I, I felt like I was always just on a different wavelength, you know, just my values didn't align with theirs. And you know, in elementary school, you know, I was like, oh, it'll get better in middle school. In middle school, I'm like, oh, it'll get better in high school. In high school, oh, it'll get better in college. And I love my college experience. But I would honestly say that now that I'm graduated, now that I'm interacting with everyone that I found on Twitter, I am like the happiest and most excited about life than I have ever been. And the people that I've connected with on Twitter, these are my people. Like, I found my tribe as cheesy as it sounds I have these people are not you know super type a you're very aggressive make money or die type of people that I thought a lot of entrepreneurs would be these a lot of people are people who you know they have full-time jobs and they're indie hacking on the side or maybe they quit their full-time jobs in order to pursue something that they're passionate about I say you know passion and grit and drive is something that has united all of us and they're really genuine authentic people obviously not everyone you come across on twitter is going to have that level of you know being genuine and authentic but i guess i'm very grateful in the circle that i've surrounded myself with and that they absolutely are
0: beautiful fantastic yeah here with uh april and alter financial analyst over at Citigroup, but also uh Maybe maybe leaving in the future, we'll see where the entrepreneurship takes you in the coming years, uh, as she's the founder of tenderfoot.io as well, uh, it's certainly a platform that's going to connect uh, students uh, with uh, startups as well. And and based on that, um, the journey that you've finding your tribe kind of via the Twitter things as well, have you been able to to find people that have kind of mentored or helped you or, or kind of given you um, advice kind of about your journey or, or people that you just really kind of, you know, established strong relationships with?
1: oh man of course so I guess I'll preface this by you know the reason for needing mentorship yeah I'm, I'm thinking about quitting my job I'm actually pretty dead set on quitting my job in the next month and and taking the next year to see how far how much I can accomplish how much value I can add working for myself and this was not an easy decision to make right I started toying with it but it's hard it's hard when you've been living i guess by the textbook of what you should do your entire life and trying to break free from that you know there's all that fear of am i screwing up my life am i doing something wrong am i doing something that i will i'm going to regret and so a little while ago someone on twitter he sent me a, a dm saying that he came across my account he loved the the content that i was putting out and gave me some resources that he think i might enjoy One of them was a specific episode of the Indie Hackers podcast and on my flight recently I listened to it and I almost started crying during that episode because so much of the guest, Lin Tai, her journey just completely resonated with me. I saw so much of myself in her and she kind of gave me that courage to start thinking about maybe it's best for me to quit this cushy finance job in favor of doing something else. And when I got home, I I DM'd her. I didn't know her. I had never spoken with her before, but I DM'd her on Twitter and, you know, kind of told her my story and that I'd listened to her uh, her episode and that resonated with me. And she actually got back to me and we talked for a little bit and she sent me a list of resources that helped her when she was going through that decision herself, you know, certain articles to read or commencement speeches or, you know, a bunch of different things and i was reading through them and i thought gosh this is amazing and additionally to that I, I reached out to some other people on twitter kind of bouncing back the idea of, of quitting and seeing what resonated with them i even i i, I sent out a tweet you know asked saying that i hear all the time about uh you know entrepreneurs who quit their full-time jobs and have wildly successful companies now and i was wondering you know is there anyone who has regretted their decision and i had a lot of responses on that which led to more conversations that i had to really give more clarity into my decision and none of that would have happened none of that would have happened without twitter
0: you know it's social media i think uh you know and i was i was a believer of this for a long time in fact i still am to a degree uh, you know, social media can be a really toxic place. However, what I found since I started my own personal entrepreneur jersey as well, or jersey journey as well, has been it's it's as good as what you make it. Uh, and I, you know, I think we agree with that. Where if you follow the right people and you surround yourself with the right people and you interact, it's a really amazing community. Uh, and I want you to, to kind of talk a little bit about that because you've been someone that also offers incredible value via Twitter, whether that's how to grow your account, whether that's how to do your, your cover photo or a banner image on your Twitter profile as well. So talk a little bit about how, um, you've kind of immersed yourself into the Twitter world and you creating value, uh, on that platform.
1: Yeah. I'll say I joined Twitter in December after I graduated and I didn't really start using Twitter. Actively until March, which is when I I first had the idea for Tenderfoot. And the very first thing that kind of got me going was I. At first, I mean, I did what any person I think would do if they're joining Twitter for the first time. I followed a whole bunch of really big accounts that Twitter recommended for me. So like Harvard Business Review and like Entrepreneur and you know all of these the huge accounts, right? And you know followed topics like startups, right? And it wasn't really providing me much value. I was like, wow. There's just... You know, it, it was very one-way. It was very big account broadcasting something to all of their many followers, but not much dialogue going on there. And then I think I got a, a recommended tweet from the startup Topic from the founder of Copy.ai. And he... In his tweet, he brought up building in public, which I had never heard about before. And then I started looking into the build in public or building in public or BIP hashtags, and I found so many people who were starting companies of their own and you know building in public. And I thought, well, it's time for me to I guess grow my Twitter my Twitter account any way that I could. And the first thing that I did because I didn't know what value it could provide was learning in public. And so, you know, it's naturally the first thing you want to do when you join Twitter is, you know, you have to put up a profile picture and a banner image and write a bio. And I didn't know how to do that. So I learned how to do it and things to avoid and things that we should do. And I wrote a thread about that. And a lot of people loved it. You know, I I got a lot of likes. I got a lot of retweets. And I guess from there, I started realizing that The way to grow on Twitter, one of the ways to to grow on Twitter is to provide value, right? People don't want to follow you if you're only asking for things or if you're being really negative, right? People want to follow you because they feel like they get value from following you. And so, ever since then, you know, everything that I've tried to produce in terms of content for my Twitter account has been how can I provide some sort of value to my followers every single day?
0: That's amazing. And, um, you know, right now, tell us a little bit about uh, your community.
1: I guess I'll start with ultimately how it started, right? Because no, no one really likes to hear about where you are right now. They, they want to hear, Hey, if I'm at the point where I have just over 100, right? What can I do to get to that point? And something that really worked for me is look for top accounts in your niche, right? So in my cases, it would be people like founders, right? Or, or indie hackers, um, in that space, look for popular accounts, look for accounts with like over 2000 followers, but don't try to interact with them because they're likely pretty busy and, and especially and 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 they might not they they get a lot of spam, so they might not respond if they see that you only have a you know a little over a hundred followers. Instead, engage in their replies and look for other people who are also engaging in their reply section, especially people who have less than seven hundred followers, and then go to their account and see if you like their tweets, see if you vibe with them. If you do follow them and start engaging with them. And if you know, if they engage back, send them a DM, have a conversation, and then repeat. And it's a very manual process. It takes a lot of work. I'll say that growing on anything, you know, Twitter included, is not easy. But you do that and you start to build a foundation, right? It was something that I heard a lot about on Twitter when I was first starting are people were like, oh, I'm so grateful for this supportive community that I found on Twitter, and I was all alone, and I thought, how? You know, did, did you know all of these people before on Twitter? Like, how did you find the supportive, I'm all alone, no one cares about me, I don't know anybody. But if you start to do that, you start forming genuine, authentic, and those are the key words here, genuine and authentic relationships with people who you follow and people who follow you. And those people actually care about what you have to say because you do have that genuine, authentic relationship. So then when you tweet something of value, they're much more likely to engage with it or maybe retweet it, then all of their followers can see it too, and then that that just starts compounding, right? It starts building. But the key here is to start with a foundation of people who actually care about you, and the only way that you can do that is by putting in the hard work and really, you know, doing a lot of outreach yourself to find people who you think you would vibe with.
0: I love that though, because that's that's a a, a lot of value uh, in a solution that you're offering to people. You know, like me, I, I've struggled. Uh, on Twitter. Granted, admittingly, you know, especially the last month, I've been very inactive. But I have found as well, because, you know, I followed some of those tweets uh, that you pointed out to, and I followed those steps. And you're 100% right to the point where you are interacting with people that also want to be interacted with. And it's a positive and you hit the nail on the head. It's authentic. It's real. And especially during, you know, this last year, 2020, with COVID, it was very hard to create those types of connections, you know, it's it's getting more difficult in general because of the digital world, and you know we're naturally social creatures. So I think establishing that base and getting that support and that positivity is fantastic. So the value that you're giving there is is really really good. A question I would ask is is as you've grown, especially at the rate you've grown at a very fast uh, fast pace, do you find it more and more challenging? Because I'm imagining you get a lot of more DMs and and stuff now. Do you find that kind of challenging to keep up at times with everyone?
1: Absolutely it's hard and i'm not going to lie there have been times where i just i didn't want to open twitter that day i just didn't want to want to do it i forced myself to do it most of the times i think i missed maybe two days because that's the way that the twitter algorithm works if you spend too much time away from the platform they'll stop showing your tweets in people's timelines um, which is not very good for growth but yeah it's gotten hard and i think that at the point where i'm at i have to be careful with my time and my boundaries because you know when i was when i was just starting out i had a lot of time to give that i could give to a lot of people um whenever they asked for it i'm at the point now where i just i don't have that capacity something that i've tried to do you know is have common answers pre-written to you know common questions that, that i get so i can just you know pop that over to them um but it's been in terms of the people that like I follow too and the people I interact with on a daily basis, one, I do, um, I'm proud to say I do reply to every single reply that I receive. It's been much harder to scale that because I get a lot of replies, but I still believe that, you know, this is a social media. It's called social for a reason. There should be a two-way engagement there, not those big accounts that just broadcast and, you know, never discuss. And then in terms of the people that I follow, i've i've actually cut back on the number of people that i follow and i feel like when a lot of people see a low number of people that someone follows but a high number of followers they think like wow this person's like super shallow or they don't follow you know lots of people and the reason why is that when you scroll through your timeline right certain tweets show up and you get shown tweets from people who you commonly interact with and if i'm following three thousand people There's no way that I'm going to be able to see the tweets of all 3,000 people. And if we're talking about genuine, authentic relationships that happen here, that's something that needs to be, you know, nurtured all the time, consistently. And so if I follow 3,000 people, I'm going to have, you know, very, I guess, shallow relationships with 3,000 people as opposed to if I follow 600 people, I'm going to have much deeper, richer relationships with those 600 people. So I think being being a little bit more picky about um, the content that I expose myself to and, you know, the 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 people that I follow and can reliably engage with and not overloading myself there, as well as replying to everyone in my reply section because they deserve to be replied to and because it's social media and trying to get to all of the DMs. The only DMs that I don't, I don't get to are the ones who just say, like, hi and nothing else because I just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are just some, some things there that, some, some negative experiences that have happened when interacting with tweets like that. So I, I've learned my lesson. So if you want to ever DM me, introduce yourself and give me a reason to interact.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, one of the things that, that you really emphasized there was authentic relationships and nurturing and providing value. And then you mentioned some accounts that don't do that you know obviously twitter is what you make it right i mean twitter is just a platform and how you use it is is going to be how your experience is i'm curious to to what you think the overall, maybe not percentage because that's a tough word, but where the overall level of people that are doing what you're doing and focusing a lot on that nurture and focusing more on that authenticity because you have a lot of people, well, your answer basically said, like, I don't really care what my follower count is. I just care that the people that follow me are, are getting value and the people that I'm interacting with are authentic, real relationships. So I'm curious to see what you think in terms of the overall scope of Twitter uh, where that line of thinking is at, or do you think it's still the majority of people are still more concerned about followers versus value and, and how you might be able to to promote more people to be more interested in value?
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of different groups of people on Twitter, I'd say, in terms of like your average Twitter user. One, one of them is people who just come onto Twitter to consume, right? They, they, don't, they don't want to tweet at all, right? They, they just want to consume and i those people don't care about followers at all because their primary purpose there is to consume. And then i guess another group of people are people who use twitter um and they care more about their followers. I'm not exactly sure like where where the line is, but there definitely are people who care about their followers. And these are most likely people who are creating content right you also have some people who just kind of retweet a lot of things um i'd say they probably care a little bit less about their followers because they aren't you know originally creating anything themselves but when it comes to people who do create content any sort of content that's when they start to really care about followers because they want people to see what they made they want people to see what they wrote which completely makes sense right you you don't want to create things and write things only to have nobody hear them But there definitely is a line right between like, I want people to see what I have to say versus I want to provide value to people and I'm here to provide value to others. And I also have things to say. I'd say that it's very few people, I think, have realized how much value you need to provide to your followers in order to keep them around, right? Followers are not sticky, right? They can unfollow you as soon as they followed you just as easily in order to keep them around they need a reason to and that means consistent value creation and not a lot of people have realized this yet and i'll draw another like one statistic that's related it's not exactly the same but i like to measure success on twitter not by follower count but by engagement rate because that's how you know that people like what you have to say or care about what you have to say or it's reaching them. Follower count doesn't matter. You see accounts all the time like 100,000 followers and each of their tweets get like five likes, right? That's not what you want at all. What's the point of having all those followers if they don't care about what you have to say? The average engagement rate on Twitter is 0.03%. Wow. That's tiny and for those of for those of you who don't know what engagement rate is it's the number of impressions so the number of people your tweet has reached over the number of engagements. so that's your likes retweets replies saves i think there there, there are a couple of different types of engagements and so the average is 0.03 percent i'd say a good engage, a, a good engagement rate to shoot for is you know three percent so just 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 think about that in your head right what the average is versus what is a good rate to have? And that's kind of, you know, that answers your question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love it, the engagement rate, because it represents your targeted followers as well, or the people following you, like you said, caring about what you say. Having targeting followers is, is far more important than you know, having a hundred thousand, and then having a tweet that gets five likes, cause then you're like, "What is going on? This account's got you know what? Yeah. That doesn't make sense." So I, I want to talk about um, Tenderfoot a little bit too before before I let you go to retrace back to that. But before we get onto that topic, I, I'd like you to to kind of provide some advice for people that are trying to grow on Twitter, trying to provide value, but maybe are I don't know if shy is the right word, but hesitant um, to, to post in public, because that is a little bit of an intimidating factor for some people is that, you know, you're putting everything out in the world to see. And, you know, especially with what, you know, the media and everybody tells you world can be a nasty place. So it can be hard to kind of put yourself out there. So what types of things, you know, mentally can, uh, would you advise people on to kind of overcome that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say the first thing when it comes to confidence in tweeting, um, one is know that, it's okay to be obvious, right? Something that's very obvious to you uh, was once not obvious. You learned that thing for the first time at some point, which means that if one of the people that your tweet reaches, if just one of them is also at that point where they don't they haven't realized it yet, your tweet is providing value. So I'd say that's the, the, that's something that people are usually afraid of is like I don't have, you know, I don't have anything original to say. And say that's number 2. Nothing is original. Literally nothing is original. If you see something and you think that's original, it's probably just because you don't know the actual original source of inspiration for it. Nothing is original. So keep that in mind for all of your all of your favorite accounts that you follow. It's 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 all inspired by something. And so when you think I don't have anything to say, I don't have anything original, look for inspiration elsewhere, right? Because while there are no original messages, there are original messengers. And you as a person, you are original. So as long as you put your own spin on that you can take that somewhere. Um, I would also say that you don't need to be an expert in a topic in order to tweet about it, right? I started tweeting about Twitter, having just joined Twitter, because at that point I was I was learning in public. And that's something that I would advise all, all of you starting out to do, is pick something to learn about And then tweet about your learnings and people will really like that you don't have to be an expert it's actually probably better if you're not an expert because experts usually forget about a lot of things that people don't know about the topic versus if you're just starting out you know what people don't know because you didn't know it you know an hour ago so so there's that and also again form form your tribe start finding people you vibe with very early those people will support you and protect you if they see that people are coming to start to troll you um I I had a couple of trolls not very many I'll say I'm very lucky in that case but I did have a couple of people who said some not so nice things and immediately I had a lot of people jump to my support even even when I was with like 300 400 followers right much less than what I have now but because those 300, 400 people were people who cared about me and not just you know, random people who, you know, I followed for followed. Not not a good strategy. Do not recommend that. And so, and yeah, and just know that you're, you're out there. It's okay if at first you're broadcasting things that no one's listening to. They'll get there. Just, just stay consistent. Find your people um, and keep tweeting.
0: Love it. Fantastic advice there, April And uh, give a shout out real quick of what your Twitter handle is so they can get all these tips uh, on a regular basis from you.
1: At April A. And April is A-P-R-I-L-Y-N-N-E.
0: Beautiful. We'll certainly be tagging that as well on social media so you can make sure that you can give her a follow and get all those uh, great tips and, and learn how to provide value yourself. Very important. I think, again, uh, creating value for people is, is one of the, the, the quintessential aspects in life that uh, leads to a quality life, uh, you know, especially as you, you reach those older years. Uh, April, and I want to go back, though, to Tenderfoot as well, because I definitely am excited about that. You know, you're doing two of these things where you're creating solutions and providing value. Uh, with Tenderfoot as well, I know it's kind of in the, the development process. Tell us a little bit about what you know about the timeline uh, how the work is kind of coming along, uh, and when you might expect some, some first iterations potentially uh, in the future.
1: Right, so it's been going along slowly because myself and my co-founder both have a full-time job. However, I was actually having a conversation with someone that I met on Twitter, um, uh, who was also a founder, and I was talking to him about, about Tenderfoot. And, you know, it's like, oh, I have this big waiting list of students, and I have this big waiting list of startups, and I just have to wait until, you know, we have the platform up and running in order to make these matches. And he asked, why? He said, you have all these people, why not just start manually matching them? And I thought, that that's a good question. <laughs> and so from there, you know, I sent out an email to all the waiting lists, um, basically letting the students know that if they were still interested to fill out a form, and the startups know that if they still one intern to fill out a form and from that I made my, my very first uh intern match which was very exciting it was I was for a a gaming startup actually and he was looking for a community management intern and I was able to make a match and that felt so good I mean I charged $20 for it, it was nothing you know it was I the only reason i charge anything for it was just was just to test out are our startups willing to pay for this type of thing you know from going from zero to 20 is much more difficult than from going like 20 to 40 and so on and so forth pricing is not something that i'm worried about right now um nor is really monetization yet because we got to solve the problem first. And so many people focus too much on monetization and they lose sight of the problem that they're actually trying to solve. But we made a match. It was very manual. And on our way to making another match. And things will pick up. I'm going to be able to go full-time on all of these activities I'd say that I'm doing, including TenderFund and Twitter. I'm probably going to start a video like a vlog on youtube or something you know about my journey from quitting a cushy finance job to like what the heck do i do next right and, and how that progresses and see where that takes me so at that point i'm going to start working much more heavily on tender, But also we're having an intern um my brother is coming in as an intern he needed an internship and we, we were able to provide one for him um and he's a programmer so i mean he he said his computer science so he'll be able to help my co-founder kind of release things much more quickly in order to get things up and running which is pretty exciting and then my co-founder is considering quitting his job in september once the lease on his apartment ends so at that point we'll be you know the the two of us working full-time on tetherfoot and i'm so excited to see where it goes
0: well, first and foremost, congratulations. The first match. That's fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's great.
0: I love the little family helping as well, get the brother involved, get him in the internship. Uh, that leads me to a question, you know, a little bit about what you mentioned earlier uh, you know, about your family in terms of the values of education and studying. So I'm curious, you know, what, what are their thoughts now? you know because you went through it and now you know here you are kind of creating things so I'm curious to kind of see what what their thought is and and kind of how that transition has gone
1: so i guess the best way to answer this is when i told them that i wanted to quit my job right because that job very stable paying a lot of money you know great for your resume right it's like every parent's dream every typical parent's dream to send their kids to work at an institution like that Because they think yes, like we're successful parents, they're going to not starve, and so when I told them that I wanted to quit and spend a year doing things myself, they were they were a little shocked at first. They might, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, they they were concerned, but then I was able to communicate with them as to why, and. One of the things is that, you know, I realized that I do not want, like, a future in corporate finance is just not for me. And I told them, I have so many skills. Like, I, I'm, I'm a strong writer. I've become really great at marketing. I can design. I can talk to people. I love communicating with people. And all of these things are not skills that I can exercise in my finance job. Yes, I'm good with numbers, but that's just a tiny portion of my skill set. And so I'm actually being underutilized by staying at this job. So I told them that. And obviously, parents want you know their kids to grow. And if they feel like they're in a position where their growth is stifled, that you know helps support the decision to come out of it. I also told them, again, I don't want a, a future in corporate finance. So I'm wasting time staying here. And life is just too short to do something that you don't love it's just, it just is. And I was able to get them on board. And now they're super supportive uh, of me taking this time to see how far it can go. And my mom is really rooting for me. She's in a complete 180 of like, get a stable finance job and stay there for 50 years and then retire, right? It's too, you know, she's like researching ways that I can maybe expand my presence as well. So, you know, com- complete flip-flop there. And I think for anyone who might be struggling, and I know it's hard, right? Family is really tough. You're, even your friends, right? The circle that you surround yourself with, if you want to switch gears or I guess, you know, shift off of that highway of everyone going in the same direction, the way that you're supposed to go, and your friends and your family aren't supportive of it, it can be that much harder to step off. So much harder. And so for anyone who's like at that point, I'd say stick, you know, stick with it and try to convince them that it's worth it. And there are a lot of like, you know, speeches that you can send them or articles that you can send them. If you're, if you're concerned, if you're at this point yourself, DM me and I can send you a list of resources that, you know, might help you and or your parents and family and friends. And also know that even if they aren't supportive, a lot of times they'll come around you know it's 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 ultimately up to up to you to take the plunge and to follow something that you actually love
0: yeah absolutely A support system is it's essential it's crucial to to long-term success so i'm very happy to hear that you know, you, you had that and, and very happy to hear the resources you're willing to provide for people looking uh, to kind of get those parents, you know, on board or, or maybe the cousins or the aunts or the uncles or whoever it may be the friends. So that's really cool. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the tenderfoot platform is going to work. I mean, obviously, you, you did it manually, but from an automation standpoint, when uh, the hope obviously understand with product and MVPs and iteration, things are subject to change. But what's the idea for how it's go- how people are going to be able to use it from both a startup standpoint, and in an in a intern standpoint?
1: So there are actually like three different models that we have right now where we could go with this. I would say we're still at a stage where we're at you know customer discovery. And that's something that I'm really excited to do once I quit my job is to talk to so many founders and understand you know, what they want out of a platform like this. So that's coming later. But the three that we have in mind right now, the first one is more like your basic job board. Where also I'd say in none of these instances students pay anything. Students have access to this absolutely, absolutely for free. So in one potential model, it's just a job board, right? Where where startups can post their positions and students can apply. Um, potentially with premium features that startups can you know potentially pay to use, such as you know we can have tenderfoot verified students that we've pre vetted in advance so that they have access to those and be able to see those to help cut down their matching time, their interviewing time. Another potential model is where uh, startups just come to us and say, we want this type of intern for this long and we can pay this much for them and give us some more information. And then we go out and we find a match. And there's a number of ways that we can help automate this process and looking for the matchmaking to make it a lot easier on us. And so we charge the, the startups for that. And then the third model we have is saying that in order to be on the platform, you know, we charge startups, which not really sure which one of these are going to work. My guess is towards the first one or maybe the second one, probably not the third one. But what we end up doing might be completely different. But ultimately, the goal is going to be the same, right? Of we have startups who want interns and we have students who want internships and we're going to make some matches. And there are a couple of, you know, side I guess products that we can do as well. For instance, a lot of startups don't know exactly how to manage an intern, which yields opportunities to create, you know, playbooks based off of corporate, like more structured corporate internships in which students learn a lot, right? And help startups, you know, guide them in creating a more structured program for their student, or even creating a playbook for the student to say, you know, this is how you manage, that you self-manage your internship. So that you get the absolute best you can out of this experience. So there, there, there are a couple of different things that we could do here
0: love it love it it'll probably end up being the third option because that's the option you don't think will work you know <laughs> <laughs> of, course, yeah. of course no but that sounds that sounds great uh, in, in sometime in 2022 is, is that the estimate product launch
1: yeah so the, the the idea is that we we'd launch in spring 2022 which is just in time for the you know that the the rush of summer internships
0: Awesome, yeah, perfect timing right there. That's when everybody uh, you know stops having, having fun at school and goes, oh no, I gotta prepare for the summer. Here we go. So that'll right. be perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, April, And one of the last questions I wanna ask you as well uh, about Tenderfoot and going forward and everything is we're talking a lot about values and solutions. Long term, uh, what's your dream for Tenderfoot in terms of the value that it's gonna provide to people? What is it that you hope it does to inspire kids uh, to give out an opportunity to to try out startups and and give them the option of knowing, you know, hey, is, is being a banker right for me or lawyer or is trying a startup right for me and, and just giving them the options?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, long-term, like master plan is more value creation in the world. You know, it's it seems ambitious, but this is the answer, right? Value creation comes from people who know or come to realize that, they're here to create value, and a lot of times, when you're kind of stuck in again that highway that everyone's going down, you don't come to that realization, right? You you get lured away by what you're supposed to do, or by you know this is making me a lot of money, right? I was listening to um, this this speech the other day, and he said that there are two types of people in the world, right? One who provides value to the world, and then learns how to monetize it later. Those are called you know entrepreneurs. And then there's other type of people who are making money and then who maybe add value later, who's not adding a lot of value. And those people are called thieves. And so you have to determine for yourself, you know, are you going to add value to the world or are you going to be a thief? And that's a decision that you can make. And I think that having a taste of what entrepreneurship is, you know, through an internship, a very safe environment where you're not risking a lot to be there you can just reap that the rewards will help a lot of people avoid being thieves
0: absolutely i love it i love it and you know providing value you know not even just from a business standpoint but you know you can still if you know just because you want to be work working a job you know do your nine to five you can provide a bunch of value your family and friends and value creation is everything i think that's fantastic um going forward uh, you know april is there anything you want to add in, in particular about the platform or about what you're doing on twitter
1: yeah i'd say that you know if you're if you're interested um in any sort of case right if you're interested about the resources that i provided earlier reach out to me on twitter if you're interested on getting onto the platform itself, reach out to me on twitter if you're someone who's very opinionated about this or <laughs> reach out to me on twitter if you're someone who um, you know, is looking for an intern or has had an intern before, or is thinking about getting an intern, reach out to me on Twitter. I am, I'm very approachable. I would just, just say more than the word hi. And I promise I will get back to you.
0: Love it. Fantastic. One more time, the Twitter handle for everybody.
1: Uh, @aprilina.
0: at April a. At April a, and then you can also go to tenderfoot.io and the landing and get a little more information there. Correct?
1: Absolutely.
0: Fantastic, April and Alter. Thank you so much for taking some time to to speak with us about your solution today. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, your life transition and your upbringing to what you're doing now. I find it fascinating. I've told you this before. Yeah, I think you know what I might say about that book that's laying around that you got. Uh, Andrew Yang, gotta read that. Smart people should build things. I'm telling you, it's exactly exactly uh, what you're trying to do. I think you would resonate that very heavy so i need to be on record of telling you to do that
1: perfect i'll get right on it i'll get on it (laughs) all
0: right april and thank you so much uh for for coming on today
1: thanks so much will thanks for having me
0: that's April and Alter. She is the founder of tenderfoot.io. She also is a wonderful person to follow on Twitter. She provides nothing but valuable tips and growth strategies to help yourself grow on Twitter as well. Again, her platform is going to help startups get interns uh, at the college level and give college students an opportunity to kind of have another option out there that, you know, hey, you, you don't need to go to school, study broadcast journalism and go be a broadcaster like I did and how I thought. There are other things you can go out and try to do. As April Lynn tried, you know she's, you know, not 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 managing a business on a resort right now. She uh, may not be in finance for much longer. So there's lots of great options there, and that's what April Lynn does. And definitely uh, stay tuned to her as well, because I'm excited for your YouTube channel. Uh, going forward to document that journey so once again uh, listening to Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast the inaugural episode thank you so much for tuning in really appreciate um, having an opportunity to speak with April Lynn hope you learned a lot from her as well as this first episode with the guest on the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast looking forward to producing more and uh, remember you can follow us on social media and we're also going to provide a platform for April Lynn in the future a featured article on what Tenderfoot is doing and also a how you can get involved with her on Twitter as well. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time, you're listening to Talking Solutions with the Chesh. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and you can find out more about our featured guests and their solutions on our Talking Solutions podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channels. As we focus on highlighting individuals providing solutions social problems and bringing optimism to the world.